Hello and welcome to EDUCAST, steam powered by the School District of Altoona. EDUCAST is by educators for everyone and focuses on important educational topics. My name is Heidi Eliopoulos. I'm the superintendent for the School District of Altoona in Altoona, Wisconsin, and I'm the host of EDUCAST. Today I'm joined by Missy Lessig, the Director of Student Services here in Altoona. Welcome, Missy. In this role, Missy oversees special education, school counselors, psychologists, and social workers. She also oversees our federal programming and mental health. This is a really big and important job in our organization. Missy is also an elected member of the Board of Directors for the Wisconsin Council of Administrators of Student Services. This means that she is recognized by her peers as a leader in her field. Welcome. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Missy, let's start by learning a bit more about you. Would you mind sharing with us a bit about your background and experience? Absolutely. So personally, I was drawn to the field of education because of the influence my older brother has had on my life. Uh, he has a chromosome disorder and struggled with his educational journey as well as um, has had various mental health challenges. So for me, this passion and the work that I'm able to do as part of this position is, is truly my passion. I began my educational career as a special education teacher. The majority of my teaching time was spent serving students in fifth through eighth grades, so those middle schoolers definitely yes. have a special place yes. in my heart. Um, I'm currently in my seventh year as a director of special education and student services. However, this is my first year serving in the district of Altoona. Excellent. It's always nice to meet a fellow person who loves middle school students. I love it. We're love a rare it. breed. Yes, yeah. that's right. So let's actually begin by talking about learning in general. Students come to us with all different strengths and backgrounds. I've been in education long enough to that I can say when I began over 20 years ago, our training was different than we see now. Our training had us focusing a lot on teaching to the middle. We taught the way we taught, and that meant it was going to be easy for some students who were lucky and maybe a little bored. It was gonna be hard for some students, which hopefully meant that they had parents helping them at home, and it was gonna be just right for a lot of our students. We had kind of a Goldilocks approach, you might say. Uh, if things were really hard for a student, then we just move them to a different class. And things are so different today. When a student is not learning at the same pace or at the same level as their peers, what do we do about that? When we think about student progress, I would say learning is always our constant. So we have an obligation to ensure student learning. Time and support are the variables in supporting student success. So those would change um, based on if students have mastered the skills or if they need a little bit of something extra. You mentioned the, the just right fit. To, so to share another analogy from Dr. Shelley Moore, we actually achieve more success and reach more learners when we intentionally design our instruction for those students who need additional support or for those who need th those additional extensions. Mm -hmm. This allows us to meet all students' needs more effectively because what's good for some is often best for all. We also know that in the classroom, we can't replicate the authentic context of a general education classroom. We can't replicate the interactions that they're going to have with their same-aged peers in pull-out settings. So we always look to what supports are necessary to ensure students have access to that high-quality learning environment with the content experts. So ultimately, our goal is growth for each and every student. That's excellent. I remember even as, even as a child, as a student, um, the little bit I knew about special education, it was, it was a place 
not a service. So that's interesting and, and refreshing to hear your explanation and how it's different, not only obviously since we were students, but even in our earlier training. So mm -hmm. that's excellent. The responsibilities placed on schools, um, we've been observing even just over the course of our careers, it's been evolving over decades. In fact, there's this author, Jamie Volmert. Uh, he's maintained a list of all the non-academic responsibilities placed on schools since the 1900s. And I was fortunate to um, hear him speak at a conference and he gave a copy of this list to everyone in attendance and his accordion folded and when you open it up it's over six pages long and it's incredible and it helps us all understand why we feel a little tired at the end of the day. Teaching students social and emotional skills is one of those non-academic areas that is the responsibility of schools. But how would you explain to someone what social emotional learning is? Mm -hmm. So social emotional learning, simply put, is just the process of teaching life skills that will support students' future success. Yeah. Uh, those life skills, soft skills, SEL skills, whatever we want to call them, um, include things like communication, problem solving, teamwork, resiliency, empathy, decision making, the list goes on and on. And I would argue that if you're not attending to the social emotional learning skills, you're not going to achieve as much academically. Yeah, that makes sense. And when you refer to life skills, that totally makes sense to me. I think sometimes social emotional learning is our education talk or our education language or vocabulary when we're really referring to our life skills. Um, so let's address the elephant in the room with that then. Uh, today, we've heard some pretty extreme descriptors of SEL that doesn't sound anything like life skills. In fact, I read an article that called SEL the Trojan horse for critical race theory and an attempt at liberal indoctrination of students. That's very different than what you're describing. What you describe sounds more like the type of skills that most parents and most employers would want young people to develop. When I was in school, we learned and practiced these same sorts of things, but I feel like we called it like character education way back then. Absolutely. I think in education, we like to sometimes rename things yes. <laughs> in an effort to um, keep up with the times, but ultimately what you described as character education, those career skills, life skills, soft skills, all the same. And we know that when we intentionally spend time building skills in this area, it has many benefits for our kids. Um, to name a few, building SEL skills leads to higher um, higher graduation rates. It leads to students being more successful academically. It also improves their general well-being. I'm not a betting gal, but uh, when you think about skills that en enable individuals to be successful across environments, I'm willing to wager you would identify things like the way that they interact with others, their coping skills, if they practice responsible decision making, how they manage conflict, and if they demonstrate the ability to set and achieve goals as most important. So we know that these are the types of skills that employees are looking for, and that's all SEL. Yeah. These life skills aren't just something that individual teachers or counselors or administrators pick out to implement. They're derived from standards. Academic standards aren't the only standards school teach. There are also employability standards and the standards related to social-emotional learning, just like what we're discussing today. They're all standards. So I've been asked before about how we decide what is taught in schools. And the answer, I think, is actually simpler than what people realize. In Wisconsin, there's two sources of school content. Um, the first is state law 
Over time, legislators have passed state laws requiring that certain topics be taught in school. For example, in Wisconsin, there's a state law that requires middle school students and high school students that they're taught about shaken baby syndrome. That might seem kind of random, but it's included as part of a specific law that was passed in 2006. The other source of school content are those adopted standards. So there's also laws in Wisconsin that all school boards must annually adopt and publish their standards. The state of Wisconsin has identified model standards and those are the ones that nearly all school boards adopt here in Wisconsin. In Altoona, we use the Wisconsin model standards in our administrative recommendation for board adoption as well. Locally as a district, there is some work that needs to be done with those standards, though they aren't turnkey. We can't just adopt them and then teach them the next day. Rather, we bring together teams of teachers for each content area and decide things like what standards will be prioritized in each grade, how will we measure if a student has met the standard, and how the standards flow from one grade to the next in a way that makes sense for our students. Since social-emotional learning, or life skills, are also derived from standards, do we use a similar process for adopting those? We do, definitely. When you think about the positive impacts of SEL, it's crucial to map out how students are going to receive instruction on those most essential skills that support their success. So the construct behind SEL standards or competencies is that if we expect our students to be good citizens in school, productive members of the workplace, and our greater society in the future, we need to teach them and have them practice those skills in a manner similar to academics. So to guarantee those learning experiences for our students, we chose to engage in a core program review process with our SEL standards, as we would with any other academic area. Mm -hmm. The goal of any core program review is to continuously improve our district's educational offerings and its instructional activities that go along with that um, in order to achieve uh, increased student achievement in the learning process and then ultimately um, result in improved student achievement. Our stakeholder team, which includes representation of in individuals in different roles across the district, has been spending time digging into our district's data to determine current reality, examining best practices from different researchers in the field, and then summarizing those key findings to inform our next steps, which has included the development of a rubric to, um, to vet our current SEL resources and also evaluate the programming that we're providing. Ultimately, when we think about what we're going to accomplish at the, at the end of all of the phases of the core program review, it's going to be that we're, have, uh, we're going to identify a clear scope and sequence of prioritized SEL standards, as well as an articulation of how those skills will be incorporated, taught, practiced at the various grade levels. And so in this sense, we're guaranteeing those embedded um, SEL instruction for all that's um, both age and developmentally appropriate. So in the context of teaching these skills, what ultimately is our goal? Our ultimate goal is the same as when we think about those academics. So it's yeah. to equip all students with the skills that they need to be successful both at school and outside of school. Best practice tells us that we need to intentionally teach these skills, practice these skills in authentic contexts, give students feedback on their progress. This also includes providing additional supports and practice for students who aren't meeting those developmental benchmarks like we talked about, just similarly to, to we do with academic learning. Partnering with caregivers is another uh, crucial part of this process. So to communicate and share the why, how, and when of the SEL instruction is really important. Yeah. Speaking of supporting students as they develop and learn at different rates, 
Um, how do we measure progress in the development of social-emotional learning? Um, with academics, we can give a test, but how about with life skills? Mm -hmm. Well, I love data, and we use a lot <laughs> of data to, to make these decisions, but um, specifically, we utilize multiple methods of, of assessment when we're thinking about SEL skills. So formally, we use two different screening methods. Um, one is called SABERS, and it's a part of our FastBridge assessment suite, so there's also a reading and math assessment that's a part of that. Um, program and we also use Panorama which is specifically targeted at, at SEL screeners. So both of these tools help us to identify academic, social, and emotional skills that research tells us are integral for student success. These screeners also help us identify student strengths so we can leverage those when we're thinking about what what areas is a student doing well in or what skills can we can we utilize to help address then any ideas um, areas of need that we would identify. Yeah, this is our second year using Panorama. Each year we send home a parent notification letting them know about that tool. Uh, we have very few parent opt-outs, but there are a few, and we want to respect parents' rights to be able to do that. One parent in our district expressed some concern that Panorama was being used to teach students that they are racist, and again, is a vehicle for critical race theory. I was a little taken aback by this because I had attended the product information sessions and the trainings and had previewed the questions in Panorama before we adopted it, and I hadn't come away with that same impression. After receiving that concern, I encouraged the parent to review the questions himself, and I actually reviewed them again as well, and I still don't see that connection. So what kinds of questions does Pan Panorama actually ask our students? Great question. Both of the screening tools that I mentioned ask students to identify their skills across different contexts, some in the classroom and some just in general, how they're able to, to manage their emotions. So for example, in Panorama, students are asked to think about their own behavior, their feelings in general, and then how they receive or um, get support from other people here at school. There are questions that relate to how often they're able to stay focused when they're working independently, um, how they can remain calm, if they interrupt others, how they're able to relax or pull, pull themselves out of a bad mood, and if they can identify an adult in their life who they can count on. Students are given a scale to assess their own skills, and again, across different, different settings. Additionally, these tools um, help us provide important feedback about our school environment. We know that one caring adult can be a life changer yeah. for our kids, so we we want to ensure that they have those connections when we serve them here at school. We also ask students for feedback on what we can do at school to better support them. Yeah. Now, I'm not completely naive. I imagine that some of the misunderstandings or concerns about SEL come from legitimate instances. There probably are individual teachers or schools or school systems somewhere that did manipulate SEL as an opportunity to advance personal or group belief systems. There might very well be places where people intentionally or unintentionally veered from the established standards in order to promote their own values ideas. There might also be school boards who formally voted to teach specific belief systems or even political ideologies. I'm not so naive to believe that that has not happened anywhere in the United States. And when those individual instances occur, 
people sometimes believe that that's the universal approach. And I can say it, it isn't here in Altoona um, or in, in many of the school districts that I've heard their stories throughout Wisconsin. Today we discussed what SEL is meant to be and how it's implemented in our system and how it's probably being implemented in many or even most systems. All of that being said, if a parent does have a concern about SEL or about which life skills are taught or how they're being taught or even if they suspect that individual belief systems are being imposed on their child, what should they do? I always would recommend addressing that concern head on. So as a district, we're happy to share our screening yeah. questions. I know many other districts as are as well, so caregivers can review them. And then if there's a specific concern, if, if that's about a skill that's being taught or, or wanting to, to gain some more information, I would encourage caregivers to contact the teacher first, ask the questions, seek first to understand, ask for copies of the materials being used in class, talk about their concerns and what they want for their child. Um, like any concern, if the teacher is unable to address it, I would talk to the principal next. Similarly, if a caregiver just has a worry that their child isn't developing appropriate life skills for their age, they should also contact their child's teacher or school counselor and share their concerns. When supporting students' life skills, it's beneficial for a child's teacher or counselor to understand what the parent's observing at home so that we can work together to form a partnership to support the child. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more on that, Missy genuine partnerships between parents and schools are invaluable. After all, our goals are the same as the parents' goals. Uh, we want all of our students happy, successful, and growing. And we each bring something to the relationship that'll help the child. As educators, we can bring our knowledge and training um, of educational strategies, and parents bring their deep and extensive knowledge of their child. And when we put these pieces together, we can do some pretty amazing things to help all students be successful. And a topic like this, whether you call it life skills or SEL or anything, this is one of those areas, especially where there are misunderstandings, but the more we can communicate with each other, the more we can um, have that have that courage to reach out and say, hey, here's what I'm hearing and here's what I'm seeing and here's the rumor about this SEL thing or this panorama thing. Um, can you talk to me about that? We want parents to ask those questions. We want our community to ask those questions. Um, we, we want people to reach out and ask those things and it can be hard and it can feel overwhelming or intimidating. But at the end of the day, um, having those open conversations and, and giving each other feedback and sharing information is going to end up making all of us stronger, our system stronger, so we can be better for our students. So thank you. That's a great recommendation. And I think it's valid to acknowledge that concerns are out there and they might be coming from a real place. So would rather have people just call up and call their child's teacher, principal, any of us just to say what's actually happening with this. Absolutely. And yeah. I think that working together to dispel those those myths or misperceptions is also a really important part of the process. Yeah, so definitely Absolutely. reach out. Yes. Absolutely. Thank you. Today, we've been discussing social emotional learning in our schools and hopefully dispelling some myths along the way. Thank you to our guests on Educast, Missy Lessig, the Director of Student Services here in Altoona. I appreciate you taking the time with me today. Um, I appreciate your knowledge and insights that you've shared with us, Missy, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.